Oh, let me control it. Let me control it. Thank you. Okay. Let me start off with a question this morning, and probably one that we've asked throughout the course of this pandemic. How do you see the bad things that occur in your life? Now, over the last couple of years, we've been in the pandemic. We've lived under some, I think, fairly difficult times, at least maybe in our own generation. This is probably a, a very difficult time. And we've probably been thinking about all these things that have happened. And I dare to say that many of the things that have happened over the last couple of years have not been so great. Not just the, the lockdowns or not being able to come to church, but we've lost some people in our lives. We've had to deal with tragedy and sorrow and pain. There are many bad things that have happened, not just during this time during the pandemic, but throughout our lives, we've actually faced many moments that are challenging and difficult. And these are moments, I think, that all Christians will face in their entire lives. But I think especially this idea of things being challenging or things being difficult will happen are times where, we'll be, where we are living trying to be missional. Now maybe you've been like me where you've tried to share the gospel multiple times and bad things sometimes just end up happening. People give you this impression that you've said something wrong. Maybe some people scoffed. Maybe you've had it like me where people have actually cried after you've preached the gospel to them, not in a good way, but because what you've said to them has felt so bad. Maybe like many of you, maybe some things have happened that have stopped you from actually preaching the gospel. And this is just the reality I find of being a Christian this morning. Now just to remind you again, as we talk about these difficulties in missions, the mission of the church again this morning, as Kevin Young, the pastor theologian, has said, or has written in his book, is the task of making disciples by bearing witness to Jesus Christ, the Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit to, to the glory of God the Father. This is the mission that we have seen the church um, kind of partake in throughout the book of Acts. It's something they engage in joyfully as they go out to the ends of the earth to share and to make disciples of all nations by sharing about Jesus Christ. And if you've been following with us over the last couple of months, it's left to some very tense and some very uncomfortable situations. I don't know about you, but I've wondered how these Christians thought as these bad things happened. Maybe like many of you in our own lives where we face bad things, maybe we wonder the same thing. And that's the question that I've asked this morning. How do we see these bad things that occur in our lives? And it's amazing that as we look at this passage, or really any passage that deals with such situations, where God's people are in dire circumstances, we find the same answer in every passage. And that is that as we look to fulfill the mission of God, there will be times when things will grim. And in these times, we need to know that God is with us and that he will use our lives to glorify him in ways we wouldn't expect. So again, as we look to fulfill the mission of God, there will be times when things look grim. In these times, know that God is with you and he will use your life to glorify himself in ways you wouldn't expect. 
Now, I said that we can see this in the passage this morning, and oh boy, is that, what we, is that not what we see. Throughout this passage, there are a number of difficult situations that Paul kind of faces one after the other, other, and it is quite a doozy. Now, remember, in this book, in this section of the book of Acts, what Paul is supposed to be going is he's supposed to be heading to Rome. Right, he's already made a couple of pleas to these kind of, of governors, and these different, uh, different people, different Roman officials. And now he's been tasked that he's going to be heading to Rome. So that's where he should be going to. But somewhere between here and Rome, or where he was in Rome, he ends up in these, a number of these different situations where clearly, clearly, we can see that Paul has been snake-bitten. And snake-bitten in more than just one way. In kind of the common usage of this word snake-bitten, we often think of this term where someone is severely unlucky, someone who is experiencing great misfortune, someone who seems like they're doomed to, to die. And we see this in the first event that kind of leads up to this, to, to this, right? In the shipwreck that Paul is seen in. In the last section, which Pastor Kevin talked on, we saw the ship that Paul's on that's heading to Rome hit this great storm that lasts for 14 days. And already by the third day, we could see that the people found this trip unbearable. Luke records this in chapter 27, verse 19 to 20, and he says, On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor star appeared for many days, and no small tempest laid on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. All hope was abandoned for them to be rescued. What Luke describes here, in my mind, is probably some of the scariest things for any person that is on the water. There are no stars to guide you, no directionality about where to go, and you know that no one is coming to rescue you. And it wasn't just... It wasn't just that their hope of being rescued was abandoned. As we kind of read later in the passage, they're going to abandon all of their rescue boats, they're going to abandon all of their cargo, and lastly, they're going to abandon ship. At the very end of the section, uh, we can see that the boat that Paul's on hits a reef, the ship is destroyed. Now this leads to another event in which Paul's life is in peril. In the olden days when kind of the prisoners are kind of in a situation where they can't be dealt with any longer and you're in a situation where you, you don't quite know all the, par- the, all the parameters, a lot of soldiers are just going to murder all the prisoners because they're fearful that they're going to escape. And that's what, exactly what happens to Paul here, that one of the prisoners says, we need to take out all these prisoners because our fear is of them escaping. So once again, Paul's life is in danger. And thank God that there is this centurion who remembers Paul and he pleads for his and he remembers Paul and because of this person Paul's life is now spared and he's allowed to enter the shores of Malta now this leads to the second moment of Paul's snake bitten fate and that's actually being snake bitten when everything kind of seems miserable and everyone's cold and soaked Paul serves his fellow prisoners and his fellow people who are with him on the shores of Malta by getting sticks to help them start a fire. And while doing so, they encounter, or he encounters, this deadly viper among the sticks. 
Now, the passage says that it fastens on him, but what it's actually saying is that it bites him so hard that the snake remains. It holds fast to his hand. And this causes the native people that watch what's happening to think, man, justice is clearly at play. The gods have saved this man from the shipwreck only to await this worse fate of being snake-bitten. And that justice is about to take this man's life in a more intimate and painful way. Now Paul's life looks like it's in turmoil. And from a human standpoint, it would seem that Paul's luck has run out. And all human signs point to the likelihood that Paul is going to die soon. Yet as you kind of read Paul's demeanor and his action in this chapter, Paul is... Paul stands kind of in the sea of chaos with perfect resolve. I think as Christians, we need to ponder why Paul is so stoic in the face of death. The answer that we come to is that Paul trusts in God's promises more than he does in human circumstances. So let me say that again. Paul trusts in God's promises more than he does in human circumstances. During the storm situation, what makes Paul stand with conviction against the furious tides is the reminder of God's promise by an angel of the Lord, a promise that is first made to Paul in chapter 23. And now this angel reaffirms this promise to Paul, which he says here in chapter 27, verse 24, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. God's promise and plans for Paul have not changed. They're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this gives Paul an indomitable spirit and conviction that whether his life is threatened by storm or by soldiers or by snake bite, he will be okay. For, for Paul, it was good as done, guaranteed that God would make good on these promises and that he would testify in Rome, and nothing could hold him back. What an amazing faith that we see in Paul, one that seems so powerful and bold. And as, as we kind of look at ourselves in comparison, I wonder if sometimes we feel discouraged at Paul's faith. Paul seems to be unapproachable in his faith, one who is unique and doesn't seem like he is bothered by anything, one in which he is completely walking with the Lord. And I think for some of us, this causes us a little bit of uneasiness because we often fall short in our faith. We're never as bold as Paul is. We often don't have the same sure feeling that Paul has. But I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, this morning to not see what has happened to Paul, what Paul does, who Paul is, as a discouragement in your faith, but rather to see him as an encouragement and to have hope in our own expectations of being missional this morning. Because the same Spirit, the same Christ, the same God that is at work in Paul is at work in you and me. Here are some promises that I'm sure Paul has thought about that are true for you and I this morning as well as for Paul. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. 
And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we have Jesus Christ, who has promised us that he will be with us. His authority comes from God. And if we are believers this morning, we have the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? So as we're kind of looking to be missional, as we look as we are Christians this morning, the entire triune God is with us. And we can clearly see this in Paul's own life because everything that Paul is, everything that Paul has accomplished after his conversion is a product of God's work in his ministry and life. Paul's a man, if you remember of our reading of Acts, Paul's a man who has received the Spirit and though he's still very much Paul or Saul, his passion, his focus, his thinking, his behavior, all have changed. His heart has changed. His mind has been renewed. When we look at Paul right here, right now, he is a man who's been made new because of God. But not only is the man different, this God who is completely at work are also helping him to move and to press forward in his life towards the mission. And that all the events in Paul's life are all a product of what God had prepared for him to walk in. One of the great things in the Bible that we see, and especially in the book of Acts, is this singular belief that the God of the Bible has complete control over all things. Nothing is out of his hands. All things are under his control. And God allows things to happen for his own purposes, for his own mission. And Paul, with this in mind, all that Paul does here is he walks where the Lord calls him. And he faithfully obeys and lives as God commands. Now, this is important because I want to reiterate this again. That the same Holy Spirit, the same God that is at work in Paul, the same Christ that, 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 Paul, is, that, that Paul sees as king, is the one that has transformed Paul, is the same God that has paved the road of good works for him, and is the same one that is in work in you and I this morning and all of God's saints throughout all of history. So if you admire Paul's faith, the same power, the one who created it, the one who molded it, is what is at work in you this very minute. Now we may not be like Paul in his character. We may not even have the spiritual or supernatural abilities that Paul has. But God has given us all that we need to walk where the Lord has called us and to faithfully obey and to live as God has commanded. And we're still growing in these areas. And just a reminder for all of us that this work includes being missional in our own lives. Now, you might ask yourself, maybe this only happens in Acts, maybe this just happens in Paul and Paul's ministry, but we don't see this in the work today. And I think that we'd be very wrong on this topic. 
church history is filled with tons and tons of examples of God's work in people and peoples he's trying to reach. And one of the great examples that I have for you this morning is in the missionaries of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. Now, this is a famous missionary couple, which many, many of you may know, but if you don't know, Jim and Elizabeth were commissioned to go to Ecuador and to reach some of the indigenous people that were there. Now, he, Jim had done some already some work with some local people. Now, he's about to move on to a different group of indigenous people here. And him and his, some of his friends were trying to do this, and they were trying to reach them. And so they, they made some attempts, and some of the first attempts seemed very promising. And so Jim and Elizabeth came up with a new plan. Or so Jim and his friends came up with a new plan. We want a more closer to, uh, kind of connection with these people. And so they had started to create plans of how we could have this deeper connection with this tribe. But before they can actually make good on this deeper connection, some of the warrior, warriors from this tribe, which they were trying to reach, came and murdered them all. Now, if we were just to look at the first part of Jim's story, we would, we would think that he's a total failure and his death was needless. But I think Jim and his friends walked as the Lord had, the Lord had called them to walk. As Christians, following the Lord is, is a guarantee that your life will not be easy. And there's always a price to pay. And sometimes that price is giving up your very life. This is also true in the life of Paul. Now, we know that Paul is actually going to end up in Rome. This is a promise that God makes. But in a few short years after the event of him being in Rome, Paul is going to give up his life, as tradition tells us, by being martyred for his faith. But like Paul, and like these men who are, in this, who are trying to reach this Ecuadorian tribe, these men live to fulfill the purpose of their lives, as hard as that is, is for us to believe this morning. And God brings them home after they fulfilled it. But this is not the end of the story. This is just the beginning and begins a second phase of God's plan here. And God uses these events about Jim and his friends in two very specific ways. First is his wife, Elizabeth Elliot, some of the wives of the other missionaries and some of the family take up the calling that their husbands had, and they bring the message to the tribe that not too long ago had seen the murder of their family and their husbands. And this group of extraordinary women had, had this huge impact on the tribe, not just seeing people come to faith, but also the impact of their culture and the way that it, it causes some of, the, some of these tendencies of, of, of violence and death to be removed. But I would argue that none of this would have been possible, at least did not have the same impact had Jim and his friends not gone there first and died. Their deaths have a huge impact upon the second wave that God sent. And the other way in which God has used these people, maybe a way that we haven't realized, is that this event sparked the evangelical missionary movement in the U.S. to unreached peoples. As this was happening and as it had happened, a number of different um, 
kind of publications and organizations, and uh, Elizabeth herself had written, uh, had written a kind of biography of her husband that sparked the imagination of people to now go out into these unreached peoples, into these lands that we had never been to before, and to preach the gospel to where it had not been heard before. So from a time where it seems like everything was pointless, was futile, we toiled, God made something out of this horrendous situation into a place where God was glorified and the mission was complete, at least in this local setting. This is the work that our God does through wonderful people like Jim and Elizabeth and these other missionaries. It is a work that he is doing right now through our own missionaries and believe it or not, through us as well. He is a God who works in people, creating new passions, new goals, new characteristics that are in line with his own. And then he calls his people, whether they're abroad or here, to be light to the nations. And like I said before, some of us will be called to be light where we are. Others will be called to be light where Christ is not worshipped as he should be. And he has prepared for them, both them and for us, good works including to be missional wherever we may go. This leads to my third point, that sometimes when God has called us to, to do something that ends up in situations that seem grim, he is using us to encourage others. In the story that we gave today, Jim and Elizabeth, this grim situation, this terrible thing that happens to Jim, actually is what sparks this movement to go forward. We also see this in the story of Paul. In the situation of the storm wreck, the situation where people were going to perish, there's a lesson that the Lord is teaching to both believer and unbeliever that are on this boat. And what he's saying is that they could place their trust in him completely, that God, the God of Paul, could save. And it's even made more evident. Paul had called them not just to give up, give up hope, that they had given up hope, but called, actually called them, give up your rowboats, give up your cargo, give up your food. All that you have now is to rely on God's word mediated through Paul that you would be saved. And that's exactly what they did. In the situation or the story regarding being snake bitten, God uses the event of the snake bite to open the eyes of the people who were there to see Paul as someone who, 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 who in the beginning, who saw that someone as who deserved punishment by the gods to, in their case, seeing him as a god themselves, himself. Now, clearly that's wrong. This is a, clearly a, something that will happen throughout the book of Acts, that these apostles or people on God's behalf will be seen as gods, and that's corrected. However, Paul here is seen as someone that's very serious, someone who has this divine connection who must be listened to. And so this has an impact on the people that listen. In the final interaction, we see that Paul uh, has, this, uh, has this kind of welcoming, and some of the people with him have this welcoming from Publius, the chief man of Malta. Now, this chief man means he could have been a procurator, meaning a Roman official, maybe even a, a minor governor of Malta. Whatever he is, he welcomes Paul and his people, 
in. And here, God uses Paul to teach another lesson. That number one, Paul's not God because he prays to God for healing. But number two, that our God can heal. Now, there's one last thing that is seen through all three of these pictures, a demonstration of the kind of God in which Paul worships. And that's that Paul's God, our God, saves. In all three situations, we see a God who saves from shipwreck, from snakebite, from sickness. All of this demonstrated, mediated through what happens through Paul. Now, I bet Paul had no idea that God was going to use him in such a way. Paul had no idea who was going to land on this island. He had no idea that he would end up in Malta. In fact, as we kind of look through some of his plans, this definitely wasn't, didn't seem like it was even on his radar. Paul probably didn't think that he would have this impact on the prisoners, nor impact on the native people that were in Malta. And yet God uses Paul to be a light to other Gentiles, a light that he didn't expect that he would be. And this light seems to have had a lasting impact on Malta. Another, another tradition tells us, and this is one that's not very well attested to, but I'll give it to you anyways, that Paul did end up preaching the gospel of Malta in this section, even though it doesn't expressly state it. And Publius became the first bishop of Malta. Now, how truthful this is, or how, or how true this is, or we're not quite sure, but we do know that this Bishop of Malta does show up in the history of the church. In the 400s and 500s, we actually see a, a Bishop of Malta that's represented in the councils of the church. So clearly we can see here that the Christian faith does at some point make its way there. And I suspect it's because of this first interaction with Paul. Now, what does this mean for us today? My first question is, are we like Paul here, where we are not worried about how God uses us, but only that he does? I think we're often consumed about the immediate things or impact about, about things, about how God must use us directly to affect situations. And that when he doesn't, we're often frustrated. We lose focus or interest in living out our faith because we cannot see how God cannot work how God could work in these situations without us, in the ways that we want. I think this is often true, where we basically things happen in our lives that kind of twist us around, turn us to a different direction, move us in a way that we didn't see, and suddenly we think nothing ended up the way that we thought it would. So therefore, this must be a failure. At this point, we must learn from Paul Paul's no personal ambition about how God must use him. He doesn't think that God owes him something where, where God needs to do something through him. For Paul, what he wants and what he does is he takes every situation as they are. And he lives as he should. He stands where he must. And he watches God do things that he doesn't expect. So number one is, don't be so easy to be kind of pushed off from your goal, from being missional when things don't go your way. Number two, I asked earlier, how do you see bad things that occur in your life? 
Now, I think that not every bad thing in our lives falls into these categories, but the longer that I've been a Christian, the more time I've seen God at work, I've seen that he has these purposes in bad things that occur. We see this throughout church history. We see demonstrated this morning in the life of Elizabeth and Jim Elliot, and we see it in the life of Paul. And what we see is that sometimes, oftentimes, God uses these bad things to reveal something of himself, whether it be salvation, or pointing to something that he wants people to see. For example, and this is just a reiteration, in Paul's example to the Romans, it's a demonstration of salvation that his God brings. And to the Maltese people, is to elevate Paul's speaking voice and gives him a specific platform which he himself would not have had otherwise. And I think that as we kind of live our lives and go through and being missional, we're going to see God use us in thousands and thousands of different ways in which we didn't expect. And so we should not expect that things are going to work perfectly our way, but only to know that God is working. Are there people in your own life this morning that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to share your faith with? Maybe ones you've had maybe some poor interactions with, or you've had a bad or grim situation occur. I would say don't ignore if God, the Holy Spirit is prompting you to speak to these people. Paul does not know the people who God is going to put in his life. But what Paul doesn't do is he doesn't ignore when the Holy Spirit prompts him to speak. And so for us today, we need to think about this question about if there are people which God is calling us to speak to with the gospel. Maybe one last question here. And that's a question about how do we deal with fear in grim circumstances. This is probably very true to life for all of us, right? We all have fears that we're worried about, fears that hold us back, fears that stop us from doing what we should. And nothing is more true, I think, that when these grim or terrible circumstances occur, that hold us back from being as missional as we should be. How do we deal with this fear? And I think here again, we need to learn from Paul. And maybe the first thing we need to do is maybe spend some time meditating more in the scripture. That for for Paul and those in the word, God's people, what leads them away from fear is faith. It's a God that they worship. As we've said before, the God that they worship is one who's complete control of all things. His, in his hands are all things forevermore. Nothing happens without his say-so, without his, without his allowance. He ha- and he has purposes for all things that are happening in this world today. And nothing is out of his hand. And so the question becomes for us, which is what, is what it is for Paul, what is fear when your God reigns perfectly, justly? So how do we deal with fear? We deepen our faith. 
As Isaiah 41 verse 10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be anxious. Look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. If you have fear this morning, and you wouldn't be the only one, if you fear this morning this, uh, to, about, about sharing your faith, about being missional, and you're, because you've, and you're worried about what might come, these bad situations, these grim situations that will happen, I want to encourage you this morning to deepen your faith and to rest in Him, these things that you fear. This is the way that Paul the Apostle has done it. And to me, this is the way that the missionaries who have head out, headed out in the world, the ones that we support, also live in such a way which they've given up fear for faith. Here's my conclusion this morning. Living out our faith is one that will have hardship and difficulty. We live in a line of a cloud of witnesses who also shared their faith and faced difficulty and hardship, but we live in the line with them. That as they face difficulty, as they face trials of many kind, they are strengthened to know that their God is with them and that for us, our God is with us. This is why the gospel writers are always so clear that Jesus is God with us. God is with us. What Jesus teaches at the end of the book of Matthew, God is with you while you've been given the Holy Spirit so you can have faith and to overcome this grimness, this fear. And be encouraged that he is working in you this morning, that he's working through us, and that as we face the world, our God is in control of everything, and nothing happens without a say-so. So take courage, live faithfully and be missional, and to expect the unexpected, because our God can do the impossible. Amen. At this point of time, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up once again, and let us do 